World's Finest Podcast, episode 87. As always, I'm Michael Sims, and with me is James Doe. How you doing, sir? I've been better. Um, yeah. Let's see, we're recording this on a Sunday. Hey, which a day is, early, actually a day early. Yes, which is the opening week of the NFL season. And let's see, so the Falcons lost today, the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets lost yesterday, the Braves lost tonight. I'm not having a very good weekend. <laughs> yeah. Not at all. And I've got a ridiculously bad headache right now, too. Other than that, I'm just doing just fantastic. (laughs) Well, hey, that's good to hear. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, anyways, just real quick. Did you happen to catch the end of the uh, Bears-Lions game today? I heard about uh, a touchdown that should have been a touchdown but wasn't a touchdown. Yeah, I still can't figure out what rule. I mean, I, I watched the video clip of it. And, you know, the commentators were explaining it, but I still don't see how it's not a touchdown. Yeah, I, I see, I worked 2-11, to 11, so I didn't get to watch really anything, but maybe a little bit of the Packers-Eagles game on my break. Yeah. And, and yeah, I heard about this ridiculous rule, and I'm, I, don't, I don't know. Never heard of it. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it had something to do with the fact that Fuck if I know. I, I mean, he only I had one football. hand on the ball, and it was something like his ass hit first, and because he didn't have control, or because he kind of spiked the ball in the sitting position, it somehow was ruled, or it should have been ruled a fumble. No, it was ruled. I don't even fucking know. I don't even know. I, I don't either. Yeah, like they, they were they were explaining it, and I'm like, I do not get what the hell is going on. I mean, the Bears won, which is great because I'm from Chicago, and that's I'm a Bears fan. But hey, a Chicago team wins. That's great. You know, and I'd like to thank Matt Forte, their running back, for uh, being awesome on my fantasy team today. Oh, thank well, you. you <laughs> <laughs> I've never done fantasy sports. Um, I don't even know what they entail. But hey, if you're winning, then there you go. There you go. Yeah, that's the only that's the only thing I have going for me today is both my fantasy football teams are kicking some ass. Uh, well, that's good. Um, we should let our listeners know that even though we are taking up time talking about sports, which they probably don't care about, um, <laughs> we are actually um, going to skip emails this time. Um, yeah, we are recording this one a day earlier than we normally do, but we, we are recording it 30 to 60 minutes later than we normally do, making it 11 o'clock my time, midnight James's time. We have um, six, technically seven episodes to go through here because the first one's a two-parter. Um, so, you know, because we're short on time, we just want to plow through these and uh, we'll skip emails and just get to them in episode 88. I got everyone out safe. But you let the brain get away. How could you be so foolish? Mento. He saved our lives. Doesn't that mean anything to you? No, he's only delayed our destruction. You keep looking for him just like you always did, sir. You don't understand. I read the brain's mind, Beast Boy. He has a new quantum generator. And it works. 
the most devastating power in the cosmos, is now in the hands of a madman. Because you couldn't follow orders. We've got a planet to save. Doom Patrol, move out! Okay, first up is the two-part episode, Homecoming. In part one, uh, we open up in the past, where we see the Doom Patrol trying to stop the Brotherhood of Evil from starting this device called a Quantum Generator, which can generate black holes. Um, well, I mean, really, they should just get Superman. I mean, shit, it will <laughs> fix everything. Anyway. Ah, uh, uh, nice, nice. <laughs> So they enter their compound, and we see that one of the members of the team is a young Beast Boy. Yay! And, yes, and the leader of the Doom Patrol, Mento, tells Beast Boy, you know, just do like we practiced, and he turns into a falcon and tries to take a key part out of this machine. Unfortunately, he is captured by Monsieur Mala, the giant ape humanoid thing, I guess. He's just super intelligent and super strong. And... He also has the leader of the Brotherhood, the Brain, in hand, and the Brain is quite literally just a brain in a jar. And the Brain tells Mala to crush Beast Boy and to start the machine, both of which he does, and Beast Boy falls to the ground, and the rest of the patrol is trapped in some kind of stasis field, and uh, Mento just yells for Beast Boy to get up and to stop the machine, and Beast Boy does manage to get up, and he psychs himself up and turns into a T-Rex for ostensibly the first time. And instead of stopping the machine, he destroys these things that are holding the stasis field up and holding the patrol hostage. And he collapses back into his humanoid form unconscious. So Mento just tells another member of the team, Negative Man, to destroy the machine, and he does it very easily. But the Brain and Mala escape. And when Beast Boy awakens, he's excited because he finally turned big, like I guess they've been practicing, but... Uh, Mento yells at him for disobeying a direct order. He was supposed to destroy the machine. And Beast Boy is visibly angry, but he swallows his pride and apologizes. So we go through the opening theme, and then we're back in the present at Titan's Tower. And this drone thing breaks into the tower, and the Titans get this intruder alert, but the drone doesn't attack them, and Beast Boy knows why. It's a message for him. Mento appears on the screen and says to Beast Boy, if this drone has found you, you know what's happened. So Beast Boy says the Doom Patrol's in trouble. And they, the drone says that they were last in the Amazon tracking the Brotherhood down. So in the T-ship, they get a radar blip on the ground, and they go into the jungle, and they find the wreckage of the Doom Patrol ship with no one in sight. So they start searching, and they eventually come across the broken and seemingly dead body of Robot Man, another one of the Doom Patrol. And it's tied up into a, into a tree. Cyborg is able to reactivate and repair him, but when he re, uh, he awakens, he starts running recklessly through the jungle, yelling out for the Do uh, the Doom Patrol. And he comes across a small fortress with a ton of laser security guns, but he just lays waste to all of it. And we find that the fortress has clearly been abandoned for a long, long time. And Robot keeps screaming for the Doom Patrol members, but Cyborg tells him, Dude, I had to reset your internal chronometer. You've been offline. And uh, Robot Man's like, for how long? Beast Boy just says, five months. So, they hear a rumbling further into the jungle, and Robot Man again just blindly charges in and starts fighting this giant steamroller 
clawed thing, and they have to fight it for a considerable length of time because it's got very good defenses. And they finally take it down, and Robin's like, dude, stop attacking everything that moves so we can plot a, plot out a plan here. And eventually they start following these claw machines, and they come across a giant dam. And inside we see the Doom Patrol is held hostage, and the brain says their work is complete. And outside, Robin splits everyone up, and they all make their way inside with Robot Man leading the way by throwing a tank through a wall. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so this big battle ensues, and Mento unleashes a psychic blast that starts a catastrophic chain reaction in the dam. And everyone but Beast Boy is captured in another force field. And just like in the past, Mento tells Beast Boy to stop Mala and the brain from getting away. But Cyborg's like, dude, the building is coming down. you got to get us out of here. And Beast Boy has to struggle between what to do, and of course he chooses to save everyone. And outside, Mento yells at him like he did before, and says, Beast Boy, I read the brain's mind. He has a new quantum generator, and now because you couldn't follow orders, they now have the power to create black holes again. So, Mento orders the Doom Patrol away, and the episode ends. Yes, yes. Um, now, before we get into our thoughts about this one, since this is the first appearance of uh, Mala and Brain, we should mention who just passed away. I meant to do it in the intro, and it slipped my yeah. mind. Um, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, James. Can you spell it for me again? S H A D I X. Shaddix. Shaddix, okay. Yeah, uh, Glenn Shaddix, who a lot of people are going to know as Otho from Beetlejuice. Um, passed away recently. Um, and the reason I wanted to mention it here is because he did do the voice of uh, Mandragora, I think is how it was pronounced, in the Justice League Unlimited episode Double Date. But he also does Mala, or I should say did, uh, the voices of Mala and the Brain. Um, my understanding is he was having trouble walking and he was trying to get out of his wheelchair and uh, slipped and hit his head, just died from blunt force trauma to the head. That, at least that's what I read, like, I don't know, four or five days ago when it when it was first uh when when i first found out about it so yeah unfortunate timing there that we're getting to his episodes and he just passed but uh, so you know what let's actually start with him let's let's start with him what do you think of his uh voice acting as uh the brain and mala at least in their first appearance here oh i love it i love mala's voice yeah. absolutely love it and yeah. obviously the brain's voice is altered in the sound editing because it's very robotic and whatnot but still it's very very creepy and very cool i i have i have nothing but good things to say about his voice acting work yeah i mean obviously you know ron perlman as anybody but especially slade is at the top of all the dcau voice actors um and i'm not i'm really not saying this because he just passed away i honestly do mean this um i think Maybe not second behind Ron Perlman Slade, but like third or fourth, easily within the top five. Um, Mala's voice is one of my favorites in all the DCAU. At least when it comes to like, you know, the uh, the, the non-lead characters. You know, we're not talking about like Batman and Superman, you know. Right. We're talking mm -hmm. about like the recurring villains. Um, it's just such a wonderful, gritty, yet refined voice. Um, and you could actually kind of see it coming out of this genetically altered or whatever the hell he is gorilla guy mm -hmm. um it, it, it's really great work and i didn't know until glenn passed away that he actually did both mala and the brain and then i started listening and i'm like oh those are kind of similar aren't they okay okay 
Uh, but that's not necessarily a bad thing, you know, that the voices are somewhat similar. I mean, of course they're going to be, it's the same guy, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, as you said, his, his work as the brain is really good too. Um, it is altered, but he has to play it somewhat flat, but not completely flat. There's still some emotion, such as in this episode, or is it this episode? No, I think it's the next one where he gets all pissy with uh, Madame Rouge. Yeah, and he, his temper flares up. That's um, in the hot spot episode. Yeah, exactly. So it's still flat, but there is some emotion to it. Very, very good work on, on his part. Um, now, um, with all that said, what were you thinking about this episode, just this first part itself? It sets up really nicely because, uh, I mean, the next episode has a lot more character development to it. But this one I really like just for the fact that Beast Boy was so serious through most of it. Yeah. You never, ever see that side of him. And it was it was really cool to see that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, instantly, when Beast Boy is just like at the opening after the credits roll and everything, the, the opening is Beast Boy doing a prop comedy thing. Yeah. Instantly, when this probe comes in, he's... He just knows, uh-oh, something's fucked up. Yeah, yeah. So. We see a, a lot of that with Beast Boy this season. Um, we see it, you know, here in this opening two-parter, and we see it in the final three episodes of this season, of this series, as a matter of fact. Um, yeah. There's a few jokes here and there coming out of his mouth, but for the most part, he is. They really took him away from who he normally is, and it did make him very serious, but at the same time kept him Beast Boy. You never feel it's not the same character. It's not so much of a change that you're like, oh, that's not him. It's yeah, just it's the not, other side like of him that, that we never see. Right, it's not like that episode where he got that mutagen splashed all over him and his right. attitude and temperament completely changed. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, what did you think about BB's struggle? Um, again, at least in this first part, where he's being pulled... One way by the Titans and the other way by the Doom Patrol. Uh, well, in what way do you mean? Just, I mean, did, was it was it believable? Did it seem forced? What were you thinking about it? Um, I have to say it was a little forced just at the very end, mm-hmm. where because I mean, you know Beast Boy's not going to leave them all to die. Right, That's, he would never ever, in given a million chances to, or you know, a million options on that. He would never, ever choose to just go after the brain and Mala and leave everybody behind. Right. See, now, I'd like to add, I didn't totally buy the Titans saying, no, you have to save us, like damsels in distress. I mean, Raven was there. She had her force bubbles that she could have used to save them from the exploding building. Um, I mean, I'm not saying Beast Boy should have went after Mala and Brain, but at the same time, what the, t- the way the Titans were acting and Raven not using her power to shield everybody did seem a little suspect to me. That aspect was a little forced, um, you know, to show the differences between the two teams. Uh, let's see, what else about this one? The brain is, and you you above all people oh, yeah. oh, know yeah. this. I know what you're going to say, what, yeah. What's that an homage to, Mike? Doctor Who, he's very clearly a Dalek. Yes. Um, you know, it's, he's got the little balls on the side of his shell, um, dirty minds out of the gutter, all of yous. Um, <laughs> but they're different. I think he only has two on each panel, and the Daleks uh, have three. Um, you know, he's got the ro- robotic voice like Daleks. Um, you know, he's very smart, very conniving, much like um, the, the Daleks themselves, but also Davros, their leader. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I was... 
I like that whenever. I mean, I, I like the brain. I like the way they do them here, too. In fact, I want to say I like the entire Brotherhood because, you know, okay, good villains oftentimes don't see themselves as villains. I mean, look at Magneto. The guy's got a point. We've said this before. You know, he yes. saw when he was a young boy in a Jewish concentration camp during World War II, he saw what, you know, mankind did to him and his people just for being different. And then as he grew up and he found that he was a mutant, he was doing it all over again. And he's not going to let that shit happen to his people. He was powerless before, but now he's not. You know, so so-called villains, so-called bad guys with motivations like that are really cool. But every now and then, I really do appreciate the villain who's just like, you know what? I'm a villain, and I want to take over the world. And they make no bones about it. And this season, we get it... I mean, I'm kind of, again, speaking of this season as a whole, and specifically this episode, but we get it with Brain, we get it with Mala, we get it with Rouge, we get it with, uh, what's his name, General Immortus? Yes. Yeah, we get it with all these guys. They're all, they all know they're twirling their mustaches. None of them are pretending that they're good guys. They all know they're assholes. <laughs> yes, exactly. Really... And, they, and they have every right to twirl their mustaches because they're, they're damn good at what they do. Exactly, exactly. I mean, if it's very cliched and being acted poorly, then I'm going to not like it. But because all these voice actors are doing a great job, it's just fun to see the bad guy who's a bad guy because he wants to be bad. Um, I mean, they want to create a black hole to just destroy pieces of the Earth. Come on! You can't pretend you're a good guy if you're doing something like yeah. that. <laughs> they don't want to freeze over all of Australia. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's see. What else was I liking about this one? Oh, I like the, the, the little musical cues in this one. There's a subtle 1960s kind of vibe to it. Um, I don't know. Maybe that's just the way I was hearing it, but it felt like that was what was going on. I don't know. Were you picking up on that? Um, not really, actually, okay. but I, okay. I wouldn't be surprised if that was the case. Yeah. Yeah. Given that this is this reaches into the past quite literally with the mm. opening. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what else do you want to say about this first part? Um, my fa I think my favorite line in this was again a Beast Boy line, but it's when uh, I can't remember which of the Doom Patrol says it. I, I guess it was Robot Man because it was when they were in the jungle there. But be whatever he says, Beast Boy's like, "You have no idea what we can handle." Mm -hmm. Yeah, they just walk off, and I think Raven is the last person to walk off off-camera in that angle, which was pretty nice, since that's got to be a reference to Trigon and, Sl and Slade. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, quite right. You know, and I really like seeing the dynamic between Beast Boy and Robot Man and Beast Boy and Cyborg. Because they a couple times they draw similarities between Robot Man and uh, Cyborg. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting just to see how Beast Boy is different with each one of them, even though on the surface, those two guys are the same. Uh, with one, he's much more playful. The other one, he tries to be playful, but the guy's very, you know, Robot Man's very gruff towards Beast Boy at times. Um, so I just, I just appreciated that little thing that they threw in that they didn't necessarily have to. Mm -hmm. uh, speaking of Cyborg, I loved the cloak attack where Raven travels up from the ground and opens the cloak and Cyborg comes out and blasts whoever it was he was blasting. That was very neat. I wish they had done that more often. Ooh, I'll have to check back for that. I don't remember. Do you remember what fight that was during? Or That was during the, the big fight in the um, in the compound 
Okay, yeah, I'll go when I'm uh, ripping the audio for for these uh, stories here. I'll definitely check that scene out again. Oh, I you know, I did have a uh, one more question about this opening part. Why did it take five months for that probe to reach Beast Boy? Yeah, th- that's thank you for bringing that up. I did mean to ask about that because it's clear Rotman's been hanging there for a while because they put a sign on him that say what trespassers beware. Yes, and then they say the five months thing. So did the Doom Patrol leave Robot Man there? Or okay, did they go to that island? Did Robot Man got captured. They left the island and came back, but waited five months. Well, it's not an island; it's the Amazon jungle. You're right. Pardon, but did they yeah. leave and come back and then get captured? And that's when the probe went out. What exactly was? Go- you can't tell me they were held captive for five months because Brain was just demonstrating the the capabilities of the uh, the chambers that they were in on them. That they were in on them. That they were stuck in, is what I meant to say. Right. Yes. Me, mm-hmm. no, me no English. Um, yeah, th- that's that's always kind of bugged me, that whole five months thing. If they would have said, like, five days, sure, I'd buy it. Five months, half a year, I don't know. So, part two opens up with Mento giving this lengthy monologue about who the Brotherhood of Evil is and how dangerous they are. And he starts telling about their inner circle. Uh, the first of whom is General Immortus, the forever soldier. He knows the strategy of every battle in human history because he apparently was there for all of them. <laughs> and uh, we do see him during a uh, fight with chariots, so you can tell just how old this guy is. And uh, the second is their top secret agent, Madame Rouge, who can warp her body into any shape she wishes. And the third is... Monsieur Mala, the super strong gorilla and super intelligent, and the leader is the Brain. And they know from Mento reading Brain's mind that the quantum generator is somewhere in the Andes Mountains. So Mento expects Bibi to join the Doom Patrol in going to stop the Brotherhood, and he hands him his old mask that he was wearing in the the flashback at the beginning of the first episode. And Robin says the Titans are coming too, which starts this huge argument between the two factions and uh beast boy just says shut up i'm going (laughs) and uh so he leaves with the doom patrol and leaves the titans behind and while they're heading towards the base uh they get attacked by the uh, the doom patrol that is gets attacked by this huge robot sentry and it's giving them considerable difficulty because it seems to have uh, countermeasures for all of their powers but uh, Robot Man tackles it and keeps it occupied while the others escape. And Mento orders them to move on. And Beast Boy is just horrified that they're going to leave him behind. And they they reach a desert. And then back in the distance, they can see they hear a huge explosion and hear uh, Robot Man scream. So Beast Boy is like, "We got to go back and get him." And no, and Mento's like, "No, we've got to keep moving forward." So they start going into this desert uh, where General Immortus is watching the four remaining patrol members and waiting to strike at their weakest when they're full of self-doubt. And he notes that Sun Tzu was one of his best students, which I love. That yeah. was one of my favorite moments of this whole episode. Yeah. Um, the Doom Patrol gets attacked again, and Negative Man and Elastigirl are both subdued and captured at the end of all of this. This is a very long scene. They get attacked by tanks and landmines and all kinds of other shit. But 
in each instance, when Negative Man gets taken down, Mento's like, no, we got to keep moving forward. And then immediately after Elastigirl is, is subdued and, she, and they leave her behind, Beast Boy has had enough of this. And he's like, I'm scouting ahead. And he just turns into a falcon, scouts ahead. And he tries to contact the Titans, but Mento walks up behind him and breaks his communicator with his mind and says, look, we, we can't have the Titans in effect, sacrifice themselves. And Beast Boy realizes now that this was a suicide mission all along. And he yells at Mento for being too stubborn to realize that there's always another way to solve a problem. And it's like Robin says, you got to work smarter, not harder. And Mento starts to soften a little bit here. And he's like, "Mm, this Robin sounds like a really good leader. And Beast Boy's like, he is. And so are you. (laughs) But you've got to, we got to use our heads here. And, so they make their way to the compound, and utilizing each of their talents perfectly, they are able to get into this place, but they are ambushed by Mala and Madame Rouge. And this this starts a really cool fight between Beast Boy and Mala and Rouge and Mento, and they do, def- they do defeat the villains, and they reach the center of the compound, but Immortus and the Brain are ready for them, and Beast Boy tries to get up to this device to shut it down or to destroy it, I guess, and he is captured by Mal, I believe, and the Titans and the Titans burst through the wall and this starts another humongous fight and with the Doom Patrol arriving with the Titans and uh, Beast Boy makes his way to the machine again and he pulls a Batman here by turning the targeting coordinates on the, their exact location. <laughs> yeah. And, um, when all said and done, they escape, and a black hole occurs for a brief moment and envelops the entire compound. And when the machine is destroyed, the black hole disappears. Uh, out, you know, so outside, Mento kind of, sort of thanks the Titans and says the Brotherhood will return. And Elastigirl says, "You did well, Garfield." <laughs> so the Doom Patrol leaves, and Cyborg and Raven thank their lucky stars to have a new thing to torture Beast Boy with. <laughs> I think it's kind of funny that season five of Justice League, well, Justice League Unlimited, uh, started a few weeks before this originally aired, mm. and each season premiere was about a super intelligent person, though loosely speaking when it comes to brain, yeah. and a super intelligent gorilla gathering a bunch of supervillains <laughs> under their command. That's a little weird. That's a weird little uh, thing going on there, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> but it's the DC universe. I mean, if you're not a super genius, then you're a super genius monkey. Yes. Or you have a super genius monkey at your side. You know? Yes. So, in your employ. Exactly. I mean, that's just the DC universe. I mean, I am a Marvel fan more than a DC fan, but, you know, super smart gorillas and uh, super geniuses who employ them. Yeah. You know, that that's the DC way, and I love it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, now, please correct me if I'm wrong, but did you say you enjoyed the second part more than the first because it had more, what'd you say, depth or character? Well, it had more, char- more character development. The whole trek with the Doom Patrol walking through the, the forest, or the uh, jungle, the desert, and then yeah. finally Beast Boy really getting to lay into Mento with what he's been, I think Beast Boy has wanted to say what he said to Mento for many years. Yeah. Um, this was very much built up anger inside of him saying, look, you stubborn bastard. It's just <laughs> like, you, you, you don't, 
it doesn't even look like you care about your team. You're there's no Doom Patrol. You're the only one left. You yeah. left them all behind. That's yeah. not you. You don't do that. And it's just I love that. I, I, this is more great character development for Beast Boy. Mm. Now, I, I think there is some good development, character development for Beast Boy here, but. I prefer what we see of him and his growth in the first episode than I do in the second. Um, I do agree. I like the fact that he rails into Mento. Um, you know, I like the fact that we get to see Mento going kind of mental, if you'll pardon the pun there. Um, but at the same time, the second episode started to get really repetitive. You know, oh, Robot Man gets taken down. We must go forward. Yeah. yeah. Negative man gets taken down. We must go forward. What's her name? Elastigirl? Mm-hmm. Yeah, she gets taken down. We must go forward. It was just over and over and over. And I get, you know, I understand it's the whole rule of threes thing with storytelling, but uh, they didn't really add anything fresher and new to it each time. So to me, it didn't feel as deep as they th- wanted it to be. Still good. Don't get me wrong. Just not as, for me, just not as strong as uh, it should have been. Um, but, you know, that said, I think there was a lot of good action in this in this second oh, yeah. part here. I mean, the action this is awesome. That's going to be a common theme throughout this entire season. Mm-hmm. Just awesome, awesome fight scenes all yeah. over the place. Yeah, there's an episode later on today that we're going to talk about that uh, uh, I think the action is some of the best we've seen in a non-Slade Robin fight. <laughs> yes. Um, we should mention a couple of things. First is, at the end, when we get that kind of epilogue, where we see Brain talking to all the villains that Mm -hmm. the Teen Titans have fought, and I think some they even haven't, Bob and the Sorcerer standing Yes, yes. They're not used in the final not-two-parter, but or the, yeah, the not-final two-parter is the way that should be worded. Um, But it was kind of cool that they brought them back. Um, Don't know how that happened, but they're there. I cannot! digested (laughs) oh that's awesome um and of course we get to see donna troy now i thought donna troy only briefly appeared in the second part of the not finale um but here we see her face you know it's wonder girl the long black hair the little star earrings um I will admit it's a little weird with DCAU continuity because that means Wonder Girl was on, on uh, in America in Man's World before Wonder Woman was. <clears throat> but um, yeah, um, yeah, we'll we'll kind of gloss over that. But what was neat <laughs> about that scene is, you know, we see her face on a monitor, and we also see Robin's face, Speedy's face, Kid Flash, Aqua, and Aqualad's. That's the five original Teen Titans from the comics. So there, at the very least, there's one shot in the Teen Titans series of the five original Titans together. And then they kind of scroll down and we see these other Titans. And please, someone who's a, a Teen Titans comic book fan, write in and let me know. I think we might be seeing those in the order they kind of appeared. Um, not the exact order, but just the way it looked to me, I'm like... I really think that's how the Titans kind of unfolded throughout the ages. But again, if I'm wrong, I really do want someone to write in and let me know. I'm not a big fan of the Titans uh, comic books. Um, so someone, yeah, double double check me there. Um, here's another question I have. Could Madame Rouge's voice be any more stereotypical? It is, yeah. So blatantly over the top. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I'm pretty sure that was... Um, 
uh, Tara Strong had done her did her voice. Yeah, I was looking at the credits, and outside of Brain and Mala, I believe all of the uh, Brotherhood are voiced by the primary voice cast. Um, and I do think that is Tara. Um, yeah, you know, I don't mind the voice, but it is very much a cliched voice for for a female villain, you know. I, I don't even know what ethnicity she's supposed to be. I'm assuming French. I thought she was Russian. Maybe Russian. I mean, with the name like Rouge, maybe, I thought that was maybe, French, but... Maybe Slavic? I don't know. Yeah. I actually, I work with a couple of people from Bosnia, and that it kind of sounded like that, just a little more hammy. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah, she's just... Uh, there was something I was going to compare her to, and I can't remember what it is now, but... Oh, she she's like Natasha, from Boris and Natasha, almost. Yes. You know? Yes. But again, it goes along with just the we're evil and we don't care nature of the characters. You know, if they were trying to portray her with a ton of depth and, you know, give her a true uh, motivation that kind of, you know, showed shades of gray, then maybe it would bother me. But really thinking about it, it doesn't because they're all, you know, even brain. It's a voice we've kind of heard before. Yeah. You know, so yeah, it, it doesn't bother me too much when I, when I think about it like that. It's really the next episode where it just grates on my nerves a little well, bit. Well, that's because she's in the whole thing, talking, yeah. talking, talking, never shutting up. Yes, yeah. but we'll get to that in a moment. <laughs> I really don't have any more notes for, for this part. I, I think I had more notes for the first part than I did the second part, because really this one is a bunch of fighting in between yeah. having, you know, what I consider very strong character development for Beast Boy, but... It, it's, yeah, it's just a lot of fighting. And then we get the, it's, it's very, uh, it's like a perfect circle, really, because it starts, the whole thing starts with Beast Boy in the past getting yelled at by Mento. Then we get in the, in the middle, another Mento yelling at Beast Boy. And then at the end, uh, Mento's like, eh, you know what? That was probably a good thing to do. Which, at, now, granted, the whole black hole thing where Beast Boy, changes the targeting coordinates. I mean, what if he destroyed the machine and the black hole couldn't be stopped? Yeah, that's a good point. I never thought about that. Because I'm pretty sure a black hole is self-sustaining. Yeah. I don't know. We, may need, we may need a scientist <laughs> here to to back me up on this, but yeah, I'm pretty sure a black hole will just get bigger and bigger until it dies out. I kind of get the sense that the black holes they're creating are only temporary. Because he doesn't want to suck up the whole Earth. He just wants to use it as a weapon of mass destruction to bring uh, a, a city or a nation to its knees. So maybe it's only scheduled to go for, let's say, 20 seconds. And coincidentally, the 20 seconds ended at the same time the machine was eaten up. So it shut itself off. I mean, it, it's. I think these types of black holes that they're creating in this program got to be time sensitive. It actually reminds me of the movie The Losers with uh, the the Snook. The Snook, yeah. <laughs> for, yeah. for the twentieth, the uh, twenty first century green terrorist. Yeah. <laughs> we have captured one of their paws. Will the beast is just the first of many. The young titan's days are numbered. Pity the communicator was not retrieved. With it, we could listen to their conversations and know what they are planning. Not to worry, Monsieur Mala. In the end, 
evil always prevails. We will soon be able to follow their every move. And then we destroy them. From the jungles to the Arctic, and everywhere in between, there will be no place for them to hide. We have already located their friend, Hotspot. He will be no match for my best operative. Queen takes pawn. I know I would not wish to meet her in a dark alley. Next up is Trust. I really think this is going to be the shortest synopsis ever. It should be. Uh, okay, so we see Wildebeest. He's all running around. Oh, no, Madame Rouge is chasing me. So she gets him to the edge of a cliff, and she's not really trying to hurt him or capture him. She's just trying to get the communicator, but it falls off the cliff. It shatters, and then she ends up taking him captive. From there, she ends up tracking down a young hero. Where is he, like Cairo or somewhere? Uh, yeah, probably. Yeah. It's somewhere in the Middle East. Okay. Uh, maybe maybe Turkey. Okay, yeah, whose name is Hotspot. A very kind of Human Torch-like character. Um, she's chasing him, 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 chasing him. He's running and 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 running. Eventually, she disguises herself as Robin, tries to trick him into giving the communicator back because... She, as Robin, is all like, oh, I didn't mean to put you in this trouble. Just give me the communicator. Because what's going on is the brain wants the communicator so he can track all of the Titans and their movements. Um, so Madame Rouge keeps pretending to be Robin. Eventually, she kind of gets the upper hand on Hotspot. And for whatever reason, she actually does call Robin. Even though she's got the communicator and can just get the hell out of there. So the real Robin shows up. And then we end up with the whole, what's... Which is the real Robin thing going on? You know, whenever there's a shapeshifter, you got to do that. Hotspot is running and running and running and running. Uh, eventually, Madame Rouge knocks the shit out of him again. Uh, pretends to, well, I should say, at some in the middle there, uh, he after she got his communicator, he actually got it back from her and he shattered it. Um, so now she's all like, "Oh no!" So then she's chasing him and chasing him and chasing him again. Knocks him out uh, and pretends to be him. And uh, walks up to Robin as a depowered hotspot. And uh, Robin's like, uh, you know, I'm really sorry, you know, Madame Rouge got on your tail. I know your communicator broke. Here's mine. So Robin gives his communicator to who he thinks is hotspot, but turns out to be Madame Rouge. Okay, I just got to say this. Madame Rouge calling Robin completely nonsensical and just there to be convenient for the plot. You know, yep. there, there's literally... No reason for her to do that. I mean, you maybe can try to say she was breaking Brain's orders and she wanted to kill or capture both Hotspot and Robin, but I never really got that sense. I just think she called him because that's what the story in their minds needed her to do, but really didn't at all. Um, they just really did it to get a main Titan in there. Because this season, we see a lot of other Titan characters. And, you know, there's various episodes where the, only a couple of the Titans appear. I mean, in this one, we really only see Robin and Starfire. We see the other three on the communicator in the background with Starfire, but that's it. So, I, yeah, maybe they just added it to, to get Robin in there for a good chunk of the episode. I don't know. I don't know. Either way, I don't think this is a terrible episode, but I, I do think it's slow, repetitive, and boring. But still somewhat watchable. What about you? 
Couldn't have said it any better myself. Now, <laughs> what this episode does have going for it is stellar animation and wickedly cool fight scenes. Well, we've said this before. When you have a character like Clayface, what was her name, Ink from Batman Beyond, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and Madame Rouge, you need to have animation that's fluid and fast and honestly downright frightening. And they pulled it off here, yeah. Going on that, the you can see the heat waves emanating from Hotspot's mm-hmm, head. Mm-hmm. That was very nice, too. Yeah. Now that I've got that out of the way, here's, <laughs> here's the shittiness of this episode. This bitch is melting in front of Hotspot, and he doesn't see this. I know. And you can't say it's too dark because he's always powered up. Yeah. <laughs> he's going to have light shining everywhere from his body. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Hey, maybe he needs glasses. They broke in a previous fight. <laughs> or he he melts everything that touches his head. Yeah. <laughs> you, need, you need to get some LASIK corrective surgery there, buddy. Yeah, that is fucked up. Her just melting in front of him and him not getting it. I mean, her whole hand starts melting at one point. She's just and, like leaving yeah. it there. <laughs> yeah, and I think part of her face starts melting yeah. too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, how do you not see that? How? And. I don't know. Next, now this this is just me thinking too much into this, but maybe this could be considered a, a negative for this episode. If Hotspot knew anything about Robin, he'd know that he would never in a million fucking years place Madame Rouge above Slade in the baddie department. But since I don't know how well Hotspot knows Robin, I can't really count that off for the episode. It's just something very annoying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was a very annoying line. I wish it had never been in the episode. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and really, my biggest problem with this episode is, why does he keep running away? She can't fucking touch him! Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Just yeah. find some flat ground field somewhere and she's fucked. Right. Yeah, if they're still in the city, she can try to topple buildings on him. Fair enough. But as right. you said, he gets gets her out into a field that's not an oil field, because we only see one. And And you're right, she can't do anything to him. Anything. I, fuck, this is obviously in the Middle East somewhere. Go out into the desert! Yeah, exactly. She will never win ever, mm-hmm. ever, ever. No matter how good of a secret agent fighter she is. Yeah. And, and now, granted, we also don't know the extent of his powers, but he does know that she will melt around him. So why isn't he creating some, like, constantly shooting his fireballs at her or just whatever? You know, just just to keep her back and all melty and and not able to go after him. I imagine his powers are similar to the Human Torch, so why not just heat up the atmosphere around him? Or I should say the the surrounding area around him. Yeah, that's true, too. I I never thought of that. I mean, there's just... This one's, like, just there, really. It's the definition of a one-trick pony. Right. How would you classify this one? Is this one of those ones that you throw on in the background while you're doing the laundry... And you just let it play, or do you just not even watch this one? What do you say? No, I, I don't like this episode. Yeah. I, now, you, I think you just said a few minutes ago that it's not a bad episode. I'm saying, yeah, it is a bad episode for the most part. <laughs> as, we, as we've been talking about it, my score has been getting lower and lower. I will admit that. I, I don't like this episode at all, except for the just, I guess, the fight scenes and the animation. I can't. I have to give it that because the animation is so wonderful, but really, that's it. The story is terrible. It's not even, I don't even know if you could classify this as having a plot. It's just one thing 
looped around for 22 minutes. Greetings, Titans East! Your evil nemesis is back! Looks like he found us. That's right! I'm back! And this time I have masterminded the new Ultimate Titans Challenge! Bring it on! Where are we? I don't like the looks of this! Welcome, Titans East! After much analysis, I have created a series of events redesigned to challenge your specific powers. If you succeed, you will have proven your worth as Titans. But failure will mean that the city the real Titans trusted you to protect will be destroyed. <laughs> oh, didn't I mention? The new Ultimate Titans Challenge will be televised so everyone can watch your defeat. Next up is for real. Uh, Titan's Tower is completely empty, with the Titans all out on the mission, and suddenly Control Freak appears on the Titans' giant TV and says he has crafted a series of challenges to pit the Titans up against. And he then realizes after this lengthy ego-stroking monologue that the Titans are not home. So he just starts going all through the tower. Greetings, Titans! Uh, uh. Greetings, Titans? Titans? Anybody? Meh, I'll wait. Oh, I'm sorry. Meh, I'll wait. Yeah, yeah. So, after the title song, we uh, we see the Titans East heading towards the the original Titans Tower, with uh, Cyborg calling them being overly worried about every little thing, trying to micromanage everything they do. And um, Bumblebee's like, dude, stop worrying. We've got this under control. So, they arrive. And Control Freak announces his presence again, and he's like, who the fuck are you guys? <laughs> We're the Titans East. Yeah, uh, I want to fight the real Titans. I'm their number one villain. Oh, really? Because you didn't make their list. So <laughs> Control Freak grabs this list of villains that Cyborg compiled for them to keep an eye on while, uh, while they're gone. And <laughs> Control Freak's not even on the list, and he gets pissed <laughs> off. And... <laughs> And he starts waddling about the tower trying to attack the Titans East and trap them. But his traps don't work because they're all formulated to stop the powers of the other Titans. And so after all after all this really goofy shit is over with, he, he then goes back into the TV and leaves. And basically because he's a spoil sport and he says their powers are stupid and he doesn't <laughs> want to play anymore. So the Titans East do various good deeds around town and uh, Control Freak uh, goes on to his little online forum and chat room uh, and <laughs> and asks what his his fellow um, acquaintances uh, just think of the Titans East and it's just you see all these people popping up with their various opinions it's like a, it's very much a message board thing and um <laughs> So, anyway, so eventually the Control Freak devises another challenge of the Titans, this time Challenge of the Titans East. And so he devises challenges that pits the the Titans East with, uh, well, I mean, these these crises that they have to solve without the without their certain abilities. And so, but like, Bumblebee has to stop a train carrying a bomb, a la Die Hard with a Vengeance. But she's been shrunk to her beast, the bee size. She's just like, I don't know, like three or four inches tall. So, 
we move on to Aqualad, and he must stop a, pollu- uh, a bunch of polluted water from reaching the w- clean water supply of the entire city with a mechanical shark pursuing him. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Speedy must stop dozens of missiles from destroying the Bay Bridge without his arrows. And finally, Masimenos <laughs> must simultaneously press buttons all the way across the city from each other, or a bomb will... I, I think it's a bomb will blow up in between them, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, while this is going on, we get periodic interruptions from Control Freak and his forum buddies. <laughs> and so Bumblebee stops the train, uh, stops the bomb on the train by using her stinger blade things on the third rail of the subway and utilizing the third rail to supercharge her electric powers to stop the timer on the bomb. And Aqualad stops the polluted water by luring the mechanical shark into the hole where the polluted water was going to pour through. Uh, Speedy uses himself as an arrow by using a tow truck to pull one of the cables on the bridge and launch him into one of the missiles and just kind of hops along on all of them, causing them to blow up one by one by one. Masimados are having quite a bit of difficulty with their their challenge, but they they I think it was Moss comes up with a plan they basically run up on top of the bomb in a massive tornado and fling each other across the city, hitting the the buttons at the same time and stopping the bomb. So all the challenges have been met, and all, the whole city is all just raving about the Titans East. You, know, you guys are awesome. Yeah, woo, woo. <laughs> and Control Freak just zaps himself in front of the Titans East like, that was awesome. You guys, did you see all this, all this, all this shit? And it was like, I can't believe you did it! Speedy's like, I can't believe the villain just zapped himself in front of all of us. <laughs> Masimanos steal his control, and Bumblebee punches him in the face. And Control Freak is put into the Hannibal Lecter mask and loaded onto the paddy wagon. And Cyborg's like, calls the Titans East, and he's like, I heard, I've got reports of missiles and mechanical sharks. I don't even know what the fuck it was all about. <laughs> he was like, is, is everything okay? And Bumblebee's like, we got it. <laughs> and I think we'll stay a little longer because the city loves us so much. Yeah. The end. <laughs> so what are you thinking here? Oh my god, I love this episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is so much fun. And just really just like Control Freak episodes tend to be. Yeah, yeah. His episodes really are turning out to be some of the best, aren't they? <laughs> In terms of how much fun we're having. You know, they're not... Uh, fractured they're not employee of the month but they're still really good in this episode there's all kinds of breaking the fourth wall and like again like control freak does it's just it's just what he does yeah and he's like the puppet king they only fought him <laughs> once i'm a recurring villain <laughs> yeah. he even mentions the episode number slash story yeah. title of the last time we saw him yeah um what was that episode two five four one nine two five four four nine four or something like that dash four nine four yeah something. that's I don't, it yeah, he brings that up. I mean, I love it. He's he's a lot like Deadpool in that regard. Um, oh yeah, yeah. It's it's so funny his stuff. And what I like is he's okay. Yeah, he's trying to kill the Titans East, but at the same time, he wants to prove that they're worthy of the name Titans because he is a fanboy. Exactly. You know he uh, he wants to give them a shot, but if they fail, they die. And, uh, that's, uh, yeah, that, that was very fun. And I, I gotta tell you, the, the, the chat room stuff, gold. <laughs> gold. 
Yes. 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 What was that again? The Bumblebee and Speedy, like, forever or something like that. God, what was it? Uh, Speedy's the coolest. LOL. LOL, yeah. (laughs) Oh, it's so good. (laughs) Honestly, I think my favorite part of this one, though, not even the, is, it's not the forum, chat room, whatever stuff. It's not the whole Puppet King, they only fought him once, the cyborg stuff. It's the little exchange. Ah, uh, Starfire. She's too good for Robin. He'll never appreciate her. See? Yeah. See. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Masi oh. <laughs> And we gotta mention, this is the episode where they get hit with Control Freak's remote. Uh-huh. And they start speaking English. Now, all along, I've been saying, because I've referenced it a few times, that they didn't understand themselves. So I just misremembered it. Because they clearly still understand themselves. And as much as I love Masi they kind of lose a little bit of their charm when you can understand them. I didn't, I, it didn't bother me just because I know it was, you know, it was Control Freak zapping them, and it was only a few scenes where they speak in English. Yeah. yeah. Very briefly. Well, it's the beginning and the end. That they, I mean, it's really the whole middle section that they're doing English. The beginning and the end, they're speaking their native tongue. Like I said, I mean, it's still Masimenos. They're still great. They're still some of my favorite characters, if not my favorite characters in all of Teen Titans. So, you know, I just appreciate seeing them. <laughs> really, I think my only gripe for this episode was the way Aqualad met his challenge. I mean, the, the mechanical shark, yeah, it stops the polluted water and whatnot from getting in there, but it's still active, because it's, like, twitching around and flailing about, and what if it gets out? Yeah. Yeah, the more it twitches, <laughs> the more cracks it's going to cause, the, yeah. and because more pressure is going to be building up from the polluted water, it's going to shoot that shark out, and it's he, he hasn't won the day. You know, yeah. that, that is... that. I would have liked it if he did close the valve just before the shark broke, you know, broke the handle. Instead, the shark broke the handle and he closed the valve and he had to use the shark as the wedge. That is kind of crummy. But then again, I mean, Speedy using one of those things to shoot himself, no. He would have snapped in half. Exactly. I mean, but then again, you know, he jumps on missiles and is riding them. So if you can accept that, you kind of got to accept him using cables. Yeah, that's the word I'm looking for. Um... You know, you kind of got to accept him using the cable to, to shoot himself up there. Um, let's see, some other things we should mention. Um, the shark is called Glenn, which of course is a reference to Bruce, the mechanical shark from Jaws. I thought it was a reference to Glenn Murakami. Oh, no, 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 I'm not saying it's not. But oh. on the Jaws set, the shark, the mechanical shark, was nicknamed Bruce. Oh. Okay. So here, Control Freak named it Glenn, which probably is a reference to Glenn Murakami because I think... Bruce the Shark was named after a producer of Jaws or something like that. Um, so it's it's like a double reference. So that was kind of neat. Uh, there's a reference to George Perez uh, with the Bank of Perez. Uh-huh. Um, when Control Freak... Now tell me if you saw this. When Control Freak was on top of the tower when he was first looking for the real Titans, um, he we, we see this faraway shot of him. And then those typical anime-style Teen Titans, almost like word balloons or thought balloons appear... And his face is in one of them, but it looks like Batman. Like the outline of Batman. Did you notice that? No, but I did notice that all the little quote bubbles and when Cyborg is speaking to the Titans East in their ship, mm-hmm. uh, they were all shaped like something relating to them. Like Moss, Moss's was a plus sign. Uh, Manos's quote bubble was a, a minus sign. Aqualad's was like a uh, octopus-looking Thing. Oh, I'm not sure. I was I was paying that much attention. Holy shit! I can't believe I missed Bumble- that. Bumblebee's was a cloud because <laughs> she flies, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it was, that was kind of neat. Oh, that is cool. Yeah. Oh, and Cyborg's was a little gear shaped 
quote bubble. Oh, yeah, I'll, I'll check that out too. Shit. Oh, I love that line. You know, in the Titans East, they're all going around the town and nobody knows who they are. Uh, that little old lady who asks uh, Bumblebee, are you Starborg? <laughs> <laughs> like, wow. <laughs> yeah, there's some subtle racism in that comment. You're black. You must be cyborg as a girl. Like, wow. <laughs> Um, let's see, what else? Oh, I like how whenever we see Cyborg on their communicators, he's in the snow. He's got a scarf on and a winter coat and a yes. hat, too. So that makes reference to the next two episodes where he is, I think it's the next two, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where he is in the snow. That was a nice little bit of foreshadowing. Uh, we don't know which story it, it, it takes place in, but it doesn't really matter. Probably the first one, but who knows? Um, let's see, what what else about this one? I I have nothing else. It's just a lot of fucking fun. Mm-hmm. It's it's another control freak episode, which means I'm not going to have a ton of notes unless they're just like, oh, look at this reference, <laughs> like the Die Hard with a Vengeance thing yeah. with the, the bomb on the train. Yeah, yeah. But yeah it, this episode is fucking awesome. I was a fool to think I could have prevented this. There were microscopic cracks in the power conduit. There was no way you could have known. All of my anger, all of my fear when I release power, I free these things as well. Now it has taken form. Then you will help us to stop it. But how? I am not like you, Starfire. Mine is a power I cannot keep inside. Then do not. The greater the struggle against your power, the more it resists. Embrace what you have inside. Let it become you, and you will find what you are meant to be. Next up is Snowblind. This one starts out with a bear trapped in a bear trap. And uh, this guy um, in sort of a Russian military outfit. Um, at, wait, is he wearing the Russian military outfit yet or just the hoodie? No, he's just wearing a hoodie at this point. Yeah, yeah. yeah he's just wearing the hood. Yeah. Walks up to the bear and he frees him. And these guys are like, oh, my God, he, he let our bear get away. And they go to jump him. But he's all like, uh-uh-uh, you don't want a piece of me. He's like, you better run. And he starts glowing red. And they run off and he eventually explodes. Um, the Titans... They they show up, and uh, they're, they're the the ship does it. Is this where it crashes, or does it crash a little later? Um, no, they land. No, they land. What happens? No, they're flying. Yeah, and they get shot by some red. Beam. Some red. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. And they have a brief throwdown with something. We don't see what shooting red beam. So the assumption is that whatever we saw in the beginning is what's now attacking the Titans. Um, they run into some villagers, and it's just this totally wiped out town. Uh, but the town does still have a working power station for some unknown reason. But anyways, um, they're all like, yeah, there's a guy in the town, and we hate him because he destroyed the town. So the Titans go looking around, but they, they really can't stand this weather. They're just not built for this. Well, Starfire, she kind of goes off on her own because she can handle this. Remember, she can handle... We've seen her fly in space already. Um, I know we see it again in... Yeah, we saw it in Troc. That's right, yeah. Um, So she's going along, but eventually the weather does get the best of her, and she falls down and gets buried in the snow, and uh, the guy in the hoodie comes back up and uh, carries her back to what we assume is some sort of cell. Uh, Starfire even assumes it's a cell. She's like, why have you captured me when she wakes up? And he's like, no, 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 you misunderstand. You can go whenever you want. And the camera pulls back, and we see that he is trapped in the building, and she's actually on the outside of the shell. Uh, 
sell, not shell, sell. And, uh, you know, she, she just hadn't looked around before. And she's like, oh, no, no, what's going on? And he's like, well, I have this power. It gives off radiation, and I, I can't control it. She's like, oh, no, no, I'm cool. Don't worry. So he's like, oh, okay, come into my room. Then they're all like, wow, 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 wow. Anyways, um, so, no, that doesn't happen. So they get friendly, and uh, Starfire's like, he, she's she's claiming that he attacked them. And he's like, I didn't attack you. I've been cooped up here for a while. What's going on? Um, so she starts to convince him that there's some sort of monster or creature with power similar to his on the loose. Um, they think it's found the base, but it turns out it's the Titans. But on the way to there, the Titans actually saw some linking, le- linking, leaking toxic waste. <laughs> I'm stumbling all over my words tonight. What's new? Anyways, um, <laughs> they find some leaking tox- toxic waste. Toxic waste. They get over to the building. They start talking to this fellow who goes by the name of Red Star. And uh, they explain to him that that creature that's out there, that's actually part of him. Because what he does is, like, once a day or whenever he gets really agitated, he has to siphon off his powers into these, like, just, like giant containment tubes. And uh, Cyborg is like, dude, there's, like, micro-fractures in your system. That's leaking out. And Red Star figures out, oh, my God. Because when I'm doing that, I'm scared and angry and anxious. He's also venting. So his anger's mixing with the toxic goo that he's secreting, and it created this beastie. Uh, the beastie comes to fight, uh, but they can't touch it because it's extremely radioactive. Red Star, he doesn't initially want to fight it because he's scared of his powers, but he does. Uh, it gets knocked out, but it ends up uh, touching some of the tubes that he's uh, basically shat in. He, kind of it's kind of his toilet in a way i'm not trying to be gross or funny that's just true you know no, that really is yeah. it, it's kind of a radioactive plasmus really um and it, it soaks up the radioactivity and becomes even stronger uh the fight continues uh but the beastie gets away so the titans and their new friend red star they head back into town on these pretty cool snowmobiles and everybody in the town's like how dare you come here red star and uh he's all like well Sorry, because what happened was he did destroy the town. He has a very Captain America-like origin. He was a scrawny guy that got enlisted into the military, treated with drugs and radiation. He became super strong, could do all these things. But when his power, this radiation power first triggered, it did destroy this town. Um, And uh, some of the people that were in on that experiment where the one-eyed fellow that we saw earlier in the episode who was explaining stuff to Robin, it turns out he's like a general or something. But also, what's his name? Professor Chang. Yeah. Yeah, he was in there. We see a young Professor Chang uh, who, was, who was in on the birth of Red Star. But anyway, so that's why they hate him. And uh, he's like, I'm sorry, but i got to come through this town to stop the monster. And uh, the Titans don't fare that well against it. Uh, but Red Star is able to, and eventually the thing goes critical. He absorbs all the radiation, but he's glowing red, and uh, he doesn't know what to do. And uh, he says, I can feel something changing inside me, and i got to get away from here. He looks at Starfire, and he's like, do you understand what that means? And she's like, I do. She takes him into space where he explodes, and uh, she flies back down to Earth, a little sad. Um, there's this giant red star in the sky, and uh, even though it looks like he died, Starfire hints that uh, he'll be back. Did I really leave anything out of this one? Nah. Okay. Really. What were you thinking? I've got three notes for this entire episode. Oh, okay. But that doesn't mean that I'm down on the episode at all. Quite the contrary. Mm-hmm. I, I like this episode. I love the character of Red Star. Yes. I, I feel so bad for this guy. I really do. Echoing everything uh, you just said. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Um, the interactions between him or between Starfire and him are just fantastic. I mean, obviously, Starfire is kind of the heart of the team, so this was it was natural that she would be the one to come across this guy. And I like that they they established that radiation won't hurt her, right. which I guess makes sense since she fires these energy beams out of her hands and she's an alien. So there you go, you can do that. It, yeah, I, I don't know. It's it's a really, really heartwarming episode, and it's pretty tragic at the end until, you know, because we don't know if Red Star is dead or not, even though Starfire believes that he's still alive. And, we and of course, we see Star, uh, Red Star come back in the, the two-parter finale. But until then, who knows? He, he could be a goner. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And what, a, and what a tragic, tragic ending that would have been. And there's this, there's this kind of quiet, subtle moment that I really like where... Uh, after Red Star has apologized for what he did to the town, but kind of gives the general a little attitude where he's like, hey, I wasn't the only one that was there that day, implying that the general helped make him. As Red Star goes past the general on his uh, little snow ski there, the general calls Red Star by his real name. It's like Corporal or Captain something. And uh, I forget exactly what he says to him. If he just says his name or if he says good job or just whatever, but it's kind of this moment of forgiveness between the two fellas. And, uh, you know, I definitely like that because it's not often we get to hear, and we should have said this earlier, but it's not often we get to hear the Titans is, 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 is real names. And we get it here earlier on in homecoming. We got it with beast boy. We've seen Robin's real name on screen. Never been said. Supposedly Starfire's name is said in the background of the episode where she went home. Right. Right. Raven's name, I think it's just Raven. And there's a hint at Cyborg's name because they call him Stone. and His name is what? Victor Stone. But, yes. you know, still, we've really only, as far as I know, truly heard it twice here and with uh, Beast Boy when they called him Garfield. Um, mm-hmm. So I I, 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 I like those. I would have marked. I'm sorry, what's that? I'm sorry. I was going to say I would have marked the fuck out if they had called Raven Rachel. Why is that? Because <laughs> her name is Rachel Roth is her name in the comics. Oh, okay. I, I really thought her name was just Raven because, you know, all demon born and all that. I didn't know she had a, actually had an alter ego. Okay. Okay, cool. Oh, you know what I else what else I enjoyed about this one is the similarities between uh, Red Star and Starfire. Obviously, they both have star in their names. They both have green eyes. They both have red hair. Um, they both are ESL. You know, they kind of speak this broken kind of choppy English. Uh, their powers are both energy-based. I mean, these characters have so much in common, and you almost get the feeling that if it weren't for her love of Robin and what's potentially his demise, these two could have become a couple. We see little hints of it here, the way she's accepting him um, yeah. and, and embracing him. And he's like, oh, my God, I never thought anybody could be my friend. I thought everybody would be scared of me. Um, there was so much more that came out of this relationship. And though I'm sad we didn't see it, I'm also happy that they put those little things there, but never let them pay off. Because that's somehow that's sometimes how it is in real life. You connect with someone, but you just can't get with them for whatever reason. Sometimes things are just in the way, and uh, so so it rang very true. It was quite honest, I thought. Yes, definitely. I, I like the Titans' snow outfits, especially Raven's. Yeah, with the pants and the fur trim. That was awesome. Very cool design. Yeah, yeah. I mean, all of them got. I mean, 
you know, okay, not all of them, because Starfire is still running around <laughs> in her miniskirt, but even Cyborg. Which that kid totally looked up in the <laughs> when they go into that little, that shattered town. I forgot about that, the little boy in which the grandma covers his eyes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that was... And she blushes. Yeah, again, which is really weird, because in the comics, to my knowledge, she's never been afraid of her nakedness. Now, granted, the cartoon, they're going to make it different. But it is very different from her character in the comics. She's never been afraid to run around buck-ass naked. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Oh, and Starfire with the winter hat. And then she gives it to Beast Boy, that kind of Russian hat. Oh, Beast Boy with those crazy hats again. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And he's like, this is fake for right? right?" No, Beast Boy, it's probably not. (laughs) Brilliant! If I do say so myself, my dazzling creation will transfer the energy from the sky into my suit. Soon I'll have all the power of the Northern Lights at my fingertips. And up here at the Arctic Circle, no one will ever come to stop me. Next up is Cole. Uh, Dr. Light is up to his douchebaggery again, and this time he's planning on absorbing the strength of the Aurora Borealis for his light-powered technology. And he is now supercharged and gives the Titans a pretty good run for their money, but Cyborg does destroy the machine. But the ice below all of them gives in, and every one of them falls into the Savage Land, or I'm ex- <laughs> uh, excuse me, the uh, the DCAU equivalent yeah. question mark. Um, and they they're like, where the fuck are we? And so they start wandering around in this jungle, and they get attacked by a pack of Velociraptors. But they're suddenly saved by a young girl and her caveman buddy Gnark. And the girl Cole can turn into an indestructible crystal and be used as a weapon. And Gnark wielder wields her as said weapon uh, to lay waste to these dinosaurs. And when the fight's over, Cole introduces herself and Gnark and takes the Titans back to her little hut for dinner. And she explains that she fled the upper world to get away from people who wanted to exploit her for her powers. And Gnark just kind of lives in this underworld place because he simply fears the upper world and is extreme. He's of extremely limited intelligence. Um, Cyborg and Gnark end up having an impromptu eating contest. And this goes on and on for a while. Cyborg beats Gnark, and Gnark, he throws up. And this prompts him to run away, just pouting, basically. So Cole follows him to his little hiding place in a tree and assures them that she doesn't like the Titans more than him, and she would never abandon him. We're best friends! (laughs) And Dr. Light shows up and says, that's so sweet. And he tries to capture her. And though he does have a little bit of difficulty, he does capture her eventually. And Gnark is too frightened to stop Dr. Light and his crazy technology. And so Dr. Light escapes, and he leaves a force field behind that Gnark can't get through. So the Titans, they see all the all this light show head, uh, off of the distance, and they head tor- back towards Cole's house because 
they left to look for Dr. Light earlier. And they find Ganark, and they find another way out of the jungle, and they get to the surface, they see this device where Cole has been trapped inside in her crystalline form, and this is just super, super charged Dr. Light's suit, far greater than ever before. And the Titans are no match for him at all. Uh, eventually, Ganark sneaks around and uh, tries to free Cole, and thanks to an assist from Cyborg, he does, and Cole is freed, and Ganark destroys the machine, but Dr. Light still has tons of power stored up, and he traps Robin in this light bubble and starts just attacking him viciously. It looks like he's going to rip his body apart, and Cole tells Starfire, just shoot me with your star bolts, and Starfire's like, what? (laughs) But she says, look, just the energy's going to be amplified through her her crystal form and so she does she shoots Cole the star bolt is instantly supercharged and it destroys Dr. Light's suit fries him um, and he's taken down again and the Titans give Cole and Gnark a communicator to call if they ever need help however the Brotherhood is watching yes what do you think I don't like this one yeah this is just a meh episode to yeah. me I have to get that in there again. yeah it's it's the definition of filler, this one. I mean, they needed to introduce more honorary titans for the big battle at the end to set up the grand story that they're, you know, uh, developing for this season. But Cole is just this very cheery, hi guys, bland character. She has no depth. There's literally nothing to her. I mean, I went down here to get away from people who were trying to exploit my power. You're a giant piece of crystal. Outside of what Dr. Light was doing, what other ways are there to exploit you? Well, she is indestructible. Well, I mean, that's true, but... I mean, seriously, what can you... And I'm not trying to defend this one, because I'm pretty much right there with you. I don't really like this one either. <laughs> I mean, besides so. having someone pick her up and swing her around like a bat, as Gnort does, how many uses are there for someone like that? She's just a small little girl. It's not like she can stretch herself like Madame Rouge and then turn herself indestructible for, you know, providing some sort of shield. You know, she's just this little thing that... You can swing at people, you know? I, I, I didn't get her motivation. I get Gnorts, you know, there's, you know, running away from... Gnark, sorry, yeah, running away from society. <laughs> I feel like Cyborg getting the name wrong. Um, but her, I just I just don't get it. I don't buy it, and I don't like her character. I, I think Gnark, yeah, Gnark, yeah. I think he has more character and depth than Cole does. And that's saying something, because he's a Pokemon, for God's sakes. <laughs> Uh, I'm glad you mentioned uh, that because he, all he says, he just speaks in his name, just like Pokemon. Uh, That's great. Uh, <laughs> um, although, you've got to give this episode at least one thing. The scene where they come across the dinosaurs and they're like, Beast Boy, maybe you can communicate with them. And he's like, uh, hi guys, what's going on? And, it's, and Raven's like, genius, she means in their language. <laughs> and he, you know, he turns into a velociraptor and he starts talking to the other ones and he turns back into his beast beast boy form and and they're like what did they say well they want to eat us (laughs) yeah Yeah. Uh, fantastic uh speaking of which though when did beast boy learn how to speak other animals languages that was interesting yeah i i can buy it no i'm not saying i don't buy it i just i don't think 
we've seen it before. I mean, when he was with Aqualad that one time, they could talk psychically. But I kind of chalked that up to Aqualad being Aqualad and having psychic powers, not Beast Boy. Um, here, he's doing and that's cool. I'm just saying we've never seen it before. That's all. Let's see, speaking of BB, we got to mention that at the end, uh, briefly, when they're all getting pulled up the tree, he turns into a barrel of monkey's monkey. Mm-hmm. The way he's shaped with the hooked hands, that was kind of yes. cool. Yes. Um, and staying on trapped. B-Boy. What's that? Were, that was when they were trapped in the tar pit, right? Uh, it might have been, yeah, when Gan- Ganark? Ganark. Yes. Ganark. yes. Yeah, that's it. When Ganark was trying to pull them up. Uh, that is true. But, yeah, staying with Beast Boy, something else, when uh, Cole goes after Ganark, after he runs off, BB's standing there, and his eyes just shift up on his head. Did you catch that? No. It's this crazy animation flub. It's like the cell that was supposed to be for his eyes just went out of whack. And normally any animation flubs when it comes to like uh, Madame Rouge and Beast Boy, you can chalk up to them being shapeshifters. But his eyes literally jumping up into his scalp, that's a fuck up. That, that, that's, no, that's no shape changing stuff. That's a downright fuck up. And I every time I, I watch it, that. I see it. Every time. And it bugs the crap out of me. I probably missed it because I was, you know, summarizing this thing. But yeah, <laughs> it, yeah. it just, it happens. I, mm-hmm. I'm going to have to go back and, you know, stomach this episode a little bit. Just to yeah, see that. Yeah, it really is just the part right before she runs off to find Ganark. That's it. That's all you got to see. Yeah. Um, and Dr. Light saying, I've got to have her. That's a little unsettling, considering what DC did to Dr. Light. Yeah, that was one of my notes here. Ugh, Dr. Light is going after a little girl. Robin. Robin's communicator, may I... Put Robin on. Now! Uh, he's kind of in the middle of something. Well, tell him I don't do babysitting. Raven told me to tell you she doesn't babysit. Robin says you have to. Can't someone else do it? Starfire likes people. Or Cyborg. Everyone else is on other missions. You're gonna have to know. So, last up today is Hide and Seek. In this one, Raven has been dispatched to the middle of nowhere to wait at a train station for a small team of superheroes. And when I say small, not only do I mean small in membership, but also small in size. Because it turns out that the team she's waiting for are toddlers at best, really. Well, I guess Melvin is, what, maybe six years old? Yeah, roughly. Yeah. Uh, So there's Melvin, um, this girl who... Well, we'll get to her... I'll say her power now. Yeah, yeah, I'll say her power now. She walks around with a so-called imaginary friend named Bobby. And uh, with her mind, she's created Bobby, this giant patched-together teddy bear thing. Uh, but it's still real. Just because it's imaginary, as she says, doesn't mean it's not real. There's also Timmy Tantrum, who uh, does what it says on the tin and throws tantrums all the time. And it turns out he has some sort of psychic, or not psychic, sonic, crazy sonic voice. And there's Teether, who just has one big tooth and likes to chew on everything. Um, well, of course, Raven, looking after three children, one of whom is a baby... Not good times, not good times. So, uh, you know, she's having a little tantrum of her own, and she's trying to get in touch with Robin, saying, what the hell have you gotten me into? But she can't get a hold of him, because Robin's busy fighting off uh, someone in the background. And uh, BB, he keeps answering Robin's communicator. He's like, look, you just got to deal with this, sorry. So, 
uh, all Raven has to do is spend two hours with them and get them from the bus station or wherever they were dropped off, uh, take them on a train and get them to some safe house. Uh, so she gets them on the train and they are just annoying the piss out of her. And she starts yelling and she's like, look, let's play a game. This game is called Don't Bother Raven. Um, so they shut up for a second. She starts to meditate, meditate. When she opens her eyes, they're gone. Uh, she finds them one by one. Melvin is in the baggage car, and Raven's like, why are you out here? And uh, she's all like, because Bobby couldn't fit in here. And at this point, Raven can't see that Bobby's real. And she's like, oh, my God. Or, or I'm sorry, Melvin said Bobby, Bobby couldn't fit in the previous car, but he couldn't fit in the baggage car. Sorry. And uh, Raven's all pissed off because she's like, oh, my God, this thing is not real. But she's going along with it. Well, as they're um, in the baggage car, uh, Mala shows up. And uh, he's trying to, I guess, capture, kill, eat, I don't know, uh, <laughs> these, these literal junior titans. And, uh, you know, Raven, it's up to her to uh, get them away. Well, as to, to get them away safely, I should say. So as this fight's going on, um, at one point, Mala, I think he's about to deliver a killing blow on Raven, maybe, uh, when all of a sudden he's just knocked, like, through a whole bunch of train cars and uh, but it actually causes the the the, the car there and the baggage car, the last car, to become detached. Uh, we don't see what knocked Mala away, but we start to get a clue that maybe Bobby really is real. And uh, so all the kids are happy, yay, we're safe. And Raven's like, we're stuck in the middle of nowhere, trying to get to a safe house. It's about to be nighttime, and there's a giant gorilla chasing us. How are we safe? So they all start crying, and Raven's like, oh my god, I fail at this. So, um, let's see what happens. She takes them to a cabin at this point. Um, there's some more crying. Um, Melvin, she's, uh, she, she gives Raven some pointers. They help out for a little while, but then there's more crying. Um, the next morning is when they take the cable car, right? Not the cable car, the, uh, what's that thing called? Like the ski lift, right? Yeah. Okay. So the next morning... Um, they all get in a ski lift, and when they get in there, um, it, it's weight. You know, it gets all tilted because of the weight of Bobby. So, again, another clue. There was actually one earlier where Raven unknowingly fed it food. Um, you know, another clue that Bobby's real. Um, as they're going along on this on this ski lift, Mala shows up again, uh, opens up the ski lift from the top, uh, starts beating the crap out of all of them. Uh, at one point, the cable ends up snapping due to Mala's weight and teether uh, chewing on it. Um, it... it it's swung off in two different directions. Uh, we think it's potentially the end of Mal, at least for the episode, but it's not. Uh, we'll get back to him in a second. Um, the, the, the the cable car, not the cable car, but the, the, the ski lift that's off the cable, it ends up going down a hill. But the, the, the Titans and the Junior Titans are, are all safe there. And uh, Raven ends up taking them to this monastery or church or whatever it is. And uh, where she was supposed to dump them off. And uh, when the door opens up, she delivers them. And uh, Melvin is actually really pissed because before they go in there, um, Raven said some mean things about Bobby. Again, still not knowing he's real. So Bobby ran off and Raven wouldn't let Melvin go after her or after Bobby because, come on, the thing's fake. Um, so she dumps them off and she can hear them crying in the monastery. But then it goes suddenly quiet and uh, she knows that's not right. So she goes in there and she sees Mala has knocked out the monks and uh, has taken the kids. And uh, what happens from there? Like, I know the kids... Oh, Mala puts them like in, a, in these like containment chamber things 
and he's got a Jeep or an SUV or something. It's like a tank-looking yeah. dealy. Start shooting missiles and guns and all this crazy crap at Raven, and all the kids are like, leave her alone, and they all start using their powers. Uh, uh, Timmy, he uses his sonic scream. Uh, Teether, he ends up chewing the containment unit he's in and then spitting them out with deadly accuracy like bullets <laughs> at Mala. Uh, what do you call it? Bobby ends up showing up, knocks the shit out of the vehicle and Mala. Uh, I think Mala just runs away eventually. I don't remember. Uh, Raven finally sees Bobby, knows that he's real, makes up with the kids. Um, and, uh, you know, she, she delivers them back to the monks very unwillingly at this point. She has to go team up with the rest of the Titans. She doesn't want to leave them behind, but her mission is complete. The kids are safe from Mala. They're with the monks like they're supposed to be. And uh, she now knows they can kind of protect themselves too. They're not just jokes. They really do have powers. And when pushed, uh, when push comes to shove, they, they will protect themselves and their friends. Um, so Raven and so Raven has learned how to uh, deal with kids. Uh, is, did I leave anything out? I don't think so. Okay, what are you thinking? This whole thing is absolutely priceless. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I love this. I will watch this any fucking time. Yeah. And um, I don't know. I think every one of my notes is just kind of goofy shit. But Slade in the little the, the little oh here's story time with Raven. Yeah. Uh, Slade looked even creepier there than he did in the end. Didn't he? Didn't he? Yeah. <laughs> because they showed his whole skull. Yeah. Oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> uh yeah. And the uh, the Raven Mala fights were pretty fucking hardcore. Mm-hmm. They, they were awesome. I never, I would never expect a Raven uh, Mala fight to be so awesome, but it was really, really good. Yeah. Uh, earlier, I had said we were going to come upon another episode that had great action, especially in the way it was animated, and this was the episode I was talking about. Um. The action is quiet, because normally in Teen Titans, the action isn't too quiet, because we've got Beast Boy or, like, Cyborg making quips. But this Mm -hmm. is the dark, brooding raven. She doesn't make quips. She might have a line or two, but it's generally threats, not jokes. And uh, so it was a different kind of action for Teen Titans, and I definitely appreciate them trying something new here. Um, And it looked damn good. You know, I, I mean, Raven... You know, to use the wrestling term, she's already a main eventer, but this put her over even more in my mind. Going more on that, when Bobby finally reveals himself and starts beating the fuck out of Mala, (laughs) I was... I was almost rooting on a cartoon character because it was so fucking cool. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. he's just picking up Mala by his foot and just slamming him back and forth on the ground. <laughs> yeah. And Raven went Chun-Li on Mala, if you notice, the the lightning kicks. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know she could do that, but I guess yeah. she's probably trained with Robin. So there you go. I guess so. Um, not only did this one have great action, and I think a lot of good emotion, Um it also had cartoony fun moments. In certain moments, it almost kind of went Warner Brothers, kind of, you know, just with the, yeah. over the, like the cable car break and then it going down the hill. That seemed, I mean, it's not something we wouldn't not see. I hope that makes sense in Teen Titans, but just the way it was done felt a little more cartoony than the show normally does. Um, even in their cartoonier moments, like when they do the anime stuff with Beast Boy's face and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just having Raven taking care of kids, especially the baby throwing up on her and burping, that that's all very 
Warner Brothers, Tom and Jerry type cartoon storytelling. But it works for this one because it, it keeps it balanced. It still has its Teen Titans edge. Um, and as we said earlier, just has stellar action. Yeah. I think fans of the anime series Azumanga Dio would love Melvin here because her pigtails just constantly twitch and like move like they have a life of her own, just like uh, Chio Mihama from the, the series The Little Girl. Ah, okay, okay. Yeah. Very I, similar character design, and it was, I, it might have been a reference to it, I don't know. Could have been, definitely could have been. Um, I don't know, it was just one of those things where I was looking at the pigtails, and I'm like, that's, I was thinking that has to be a reference to something, but Lord knows if I knew what. Um, let's see, the last two things I want to say about this one are this. When Mala's running away with his little helicopter backpacky thing, he says, this is the last time I work with children, mm-hmm. which is a reference to that line, never work with children or animals. So it coming from an animal is, is kind of funny. Just a little yep. funny, not LOL. WC funny. Fields, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the other thing is that the monks are, two of them are references to George Perez and Marv Wolfman, who, of course, are synonymous with the Teen Titans. There's a third monk, a heavier one with glasses, I'm not sure if he's supposed to be anybody. I'm thinking maybe if George Perez had an inker, or maybe it was his colorist or their editor, but Perez and Wolfman are definitely the the big monk with the goatee, that's Perez, and there's one standing in the background with glasses and kind of the matted down, almost look George Clooney-like hair, that's supposed to be Wolfman. Uh, We'll actually see them in another episode coming up uh, next week, and I'll point it out then, too. Um, But I, I... completely forgot that there was a reference to them in this one right here this is another one i just i love just it's one of my personal favorites yeah uh should we score these then i'm ready if you are okay let's see homecoming uh homecoming wow i'm a little torn on this one i'm i'm gonna give it an eight but i was tempted to give it a nine okay uh why'd you go with an eight not a nine I do think that the second episode did kind of drag just with the repetitiveness, mm-hmm. but still, it's it's a really awesome season opener. Yeah, you know, it is a great season opener, but I still have to give it a seven. Uh, trust. <laughs> uh, I'm giving it a three. Yeah, um... I'm going to give this I mean, one a four. Oh, I'm sorry. Please go ahead. Well, I was, I was going to say, really, if you take away the the animation and the fights, what does this episode have? A whole lot of nothing. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. I, I am going to give it a four. Uh, yeah. I'll just stick with that, I guess. For real. I'm giving this a nine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm going to give this one a seven. Snowblind. <laughs> Snowblind? That's going to get an eight. That gets a seven from me. Cole. Uh, four, I uh-huh. guess. I initially wrote a six, then a five, and I too settled on a four. And hide and seek. Eight. That gets a seven from me. Greetings, Titans! Your number one day. Hey! You're not the Teen Titans! We're Titans East. Aqualad, Speedy, Mas y Menos, and Bumblebee. Uh, yeah. Never heard of you. Never heard of us? Who is this guy? 
Who am I? I am Control Freak, master of mass media, ruler of reality, and I escaped from prison to defeat my arch nemesis, the Titans. The real Titans. Feedback in the form of emails can be sent to feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com. That's feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com. Our voicemail number is 731-WFP-WFP0. That's 731-937-9370. And don't forget about our store, which can be found at earth2.net slash store. That's earth-2.net slash store. Next time on World's Finest Podcast, we'll discuss the final six episodes of Teen Titans. Those being Lightspeed, Revved Up, Go!, Calling All Titans, Titans Together, and Things Change. For James Doe, I'm Michael David Sims saying thank you for listening to World's Finest Podcast.